Hello, and welcome to another episode of Flail Forward, which is a podcast about RPG design and amateurism as well. Um, I am your Fred, and I am writing a game called Wander. I am Karas Naur, a.k.a. Car, and the game I'm working on is called Legendcraft. Hi, I'm Catrice, designer of Sayorset, now new and improved with art, finally. Yay. Um, hey, y'all, my name's Jonathan, and I'm working on Cut to the Chase. Hi, I'm Kibor, and the current name of the Google document I'm working on is One Spirit, One GM, and X Cultist, but <laughs> that's obviously not a final name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Mark, and my project is Praxis Arcanum. Hi, this is Rob, and I am working on Ashes of the Magi. All right, and that is all of us again. Now, when we started this, I said we were going to have a somewhat immutable um, question at the start, and I lied. We changed it immediately um, because that took up a lot of time. So. We're, we have topics that we are talking about, and tonight we're going to talk about obscuring information, which was something that Kat had originally brought up. So we can, I'm going to ask her to not obscure information and tell us kind of why she thought of this topic. That's my favorite thing to do. Okay, maybe it's not really my favorite thing. No, it's not. Fun. You talk like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would I would say you're not really on the obscuring information <laughs> side. All right, not really. Not that that's I, a bad thing. I mean, no. I don't no. mind having information obscured to a degree, but I like it to be kind of available. You know, it should be complex under the hood, not necessarily on the surface kind of thing. Mm, okay. Anyway, the concept, like the thing that actually gave me the idea for the topic was actually a amusing little conversation picture thing and it was just like the cleric asking the fighter is like fighter how many hit points do you have left and the dm's like no no, wait you can tell he looks hurt but you don't know what his actual health is at and it's like all right well how hurt do you look fighter and the fighter's like well on a scale of 1 to 62 i look uh, about at a 19. (laughs) so Yeah, it's like when you're playing a game or doing anything with a storyline, basically, you kind of have to obscure information to some degree. You you can't have a story where everything's already known completely at the start. Uh, Like, the fine details, still, you have to go through them. Like, even if you say the ending and the conclusion, everything at the uh, very start of say, a movie like, say, Memento, you still have a lot of information that's obscured there. In Memento especially, it's like they show you the ending of the movie first, and then they go back in reverse chronological order to explain, this is how we got to this point. And that leads to even more questions as you go through it. If you told everything at the very start, you basically don't have a story. And since role-playing games are basically collaborative storytelling, you kind of need to have some information obscured, otherwise it's not much of a story. But problem there is, how much is too much what things should be obscured, what things shouldn't? Like, the whole thing about hit points. Like, 
should it really be obscured? It makes it difficult for the players to know, like, when they should actually do stuff. Technically, that's metagame knowledge, but at the same time, a game can be designed in such a way that you basically need to have certain metagame knowledge to be able to do much of anything in the game at all. So, where do you cut it off? What's, like, the good things to do for it, and what's not? And it's probably not going to be the same for every game, so... Anyway, yay, I'm relatively short this time. Discuss! <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think uh, I think for that particular example of the hit point thing, it's it's that's that actually highlights a different problem, and that's not one of obscured information, but it's one of the the mechanics being somewhat disconnected from what they're supposed to represent in the world. If the system was something like, well, I'm lightly hurt or I'm critically wounded or something, if that was the system, um, then it would be the information would be on display to the players in a way that their characters could interact with it also. In D&D, or any game with hit points, really, um, there's, there's somewhat of a mental leap to get from what is 100 hit points in that game. Um, sometimes it's a full hit point cleric, and sometimes it's a barbarian at half health. Um, and there's, because there's not a consistent measure of what it's supposed to represent, then the players don't have a yardstick by which to gauge their actions. So when we're talking about uh, obscuring in RPGs, it's more than, potentially more than just uh, a storyline that we have to, or we might want to obscure or not obscure for that matter. Yeah, I mean, there's there's something to be said for... Um, so some games have hidden mechanics, like legacy board games have, have hidden mechanics that are not uh, available to the players at the start of the game. Um, that's, that's an example of obscuring information in order to game, make the game more fun, because part of the fun of a legacy game is like opening the little envelope and going like, oh, wow, this is totally different now. Um, and... But in RPGs, generally speaking, you do the players want to have full knowledge of the the workings of the game uh, in order for them to make decisions. There's I can't I can't think of any RPGs off the top of my head that have a um, legacy like mechanic in them um, a, apart from mine. But there's <laughs> it, it's I, well I'm trying I don't know if it'll be successful. Um, but Normal. most most RPGs give you everything up front if you're a player, except if you're a DM. Sometimes they'll give the GM more information, like monster stats and so forth. But yeah, I definitely have some legacy mechanics. Or well, they're not legacy; they're fairly sort of newish. But it is stuff that is somewhat obscured from the player because well. The thing is, if you hide information, then it can be a surprise. You can't really have the surprise more than once, though. Right. Is the problem. Like, you look at, like, a, the D&D example of, like, you know, everybody knows what a beholder is now. If you have a... You describe a beholder, it's like a big ball thing, and it's got lots of eyes on tentacles. It's like, well, at this point, it's basically metagame knowledge and it's really hard to get around 
and that there is the crux of this entire topic. So it most of the time when people talk about obscuring information in RPGs, it's not about um, hiding mechanical knowledge from the players. It's about hiding bits of minutia about the setting from the players, such mm. as what is a beholder? Where are such and such mountains? And yeah. things like that. Yeah, and well that was really one of the 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 pillars of of role playing in the early days where like Gygax and Arneson certainly knew what the metagame was. They probably didn't have a term for it at that time. But they actively practiced keeping as much as they could out of the players' heads as possible. Hmm. Well, most of it being aimed, being related to either the plot or the setting at the time. Mm -hmm. But not so much about the game rules themselves. Yeah. I mean, I've certainly encountered a few games, um, especially ones with like a, a strict meta plot that intentionally try and obscure information from players, uh, you know, to give that like discovery piece or to, you know, to make the world seem a little bit more real and a little bit more unknowable. Um, and that's, that's certainly a way to do it. It's not generally my philosophy when looking at something like this, but um, yeah, that's certain. That's, I think, Car is right that at least in historical like design, usually obscuring information has been more on the part of the the world and the narrative that the game designer is giving you, rather than necessarily obscuring like character information or mechanics or stats. So, right. so I think there's actually yeah. to to uh, to Car's point. I just want to make this one note because it reinforces what he was saying. Um, the Gygax and Arneson, or especially Gygax, uh, went so far with that idea that there are monsters in the first edition D&D monster manual that mimic other monsters, specifically to confuse players. Like there's the, the gas cloud thing. The, the it's basically a beholder, except when you hit it, it blows up and puts spores in your face. It's, it's an interesting thing um, because the question kind of is, is what serves the game more is it me trying to describe beholder without saying you run into a beholder and some sort of weak description uh where if you're playing with a bunch of people who've already played if i say you run into a beholder the image is already in their head and it, their own um, thought of what a beholder is is probably better than what i can try to describe to them yeah uh, but it comes with additional oh, i'm sorry go ahead Sorry, there are actually some very, very large parts of the game that have n basically never changed that still hide like a lot of information. Like, um, two very classic ones are one's a monster, which is the mimic, which pretty much everybody runs into in almost every game at some point. And the other is like traps. You don't know the trap is there because. If the player knows the trap is there, they I've seen them just flat out. It's like they 
roll poorly for detecting the trap, and it's like, yeah, I, I, I start, I don't believe that. I'm just gonna keep checking the area and be like really, really thorough about it now. And it's like your character has no reason to. <laughs> it's, it's it's an interesting point about the trap specifically, um, because who. Uh, if you if you took it as extreme as possible in terms of like what information is really obscured from the character, um, you could say that they have no idea how well they were able to search for traps. So if you rolled a, a d20 and you got a one, you as a player have a pretty good idea of what that means, but as a character, you don't necessarily. So how much information is inherent in the mechanics in terms of how much information is given to the player versus uh, what what best serves the narrative if that's what you're going for. Right. Well, it used to be, it used to be that the players weren't supposed to roll for the detect traps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that used to be a, the, the DM's job. It, well, in, in early D&D, it, it actually wasn't the player who was supposed to be rolling that, so they wouldn't know how well or poorly the dice came out. Which is exactly what the topic's about. It's right. Like they're, they're not just masking the information of the traps they're masking the information of what their character is even doing yeah mm-hmm. well yeah i was so, actually surprised to hear that there's some people or groups that play with the dm rolling everything and this is i first of all i was surprised that it happens but i'm surprised that it's acceptable to the players and the dm but yeah some groups that's how they prefer to play or maybe they just don't know uh, or haven't had an experience otherwise it's huh. that's There's one of the many ways in which player agency has been asserted over the years and become it, it normalized. Can be player, it can be player agency, but also in some ways they don't necessarily want to know the information. Like it's like uh for example, you don't want to go to the movies and have somebody tell you the ending and be just as you're sitting down. Right. So sometimes obscuring a bit of information, like sometimes even a lot of information can actually be really interesting. You can't necessarily argue that, oh, well, I succeeded on my role. It's like the GM can just tell you. It's like, well, you barely succeeded. And they don't have to worry about fudging the dice or anything that the players know about. They just tell them this is the outcome act on what I tell you. Well, the the whole movie audience member analogy is kind of flawed because the players are also the cast members in the movie. And like um, today, Avengers Infinity War came out and that film has been shrouded in secrecy from every direction because nobody wants it spoiled. And I believe it's one of the uncommon productions that has not given the ending to the cast before filming at least not as early as they got the rest of the script so that's more like what hiding information from players is is hiding information that's not from even the cast. rare though that's not even rare though like if you look at virtually any animated uh film or any a video game voice actors almost never have any idea even what character they're playing like unless you are a main character you 
usually don't even know the context that your lines are going to be put into. Well, that's that's voice acting. Let's just stick with the on-set production metaphor here. I mean, all right. I just I don't see where this is gonna take us. Um. <laughs> Into the well, weeds. My point was, my point was is that a, an audience member sitting in a theater watching a movie is less invested than a player sitting at a table. I mean, sure, but the the analogy was understandable. That's all it needed to be. It, uh, it's a little obscured only because the, because the, the, the medium of RPGs is necessarily interactive. Um, yeah. It, so I, I see your point and I see Carr's point. So. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's just move on. Yes. Um, so one of the... Did you have something to say, Kevor? No, not really. <laughs> okay. I said okay. <laughs> Sorry, you. I had one distinction that I wanted to make. This is a good opportunity. So I think there's the the distinction between what is um, designed into the game and integrated as like you can obscure this knowledge, and what is designed for the GM to choose what they'd like to obscure and what they'd like to reveal. Um, because I think there is an overlap in like you you can have a game that says the players roll the dice, but it's not necessarily um, what happens at the table, or um, the the GM might say, well, I'm going to hide this role so no one sees it but me, but I'll reveal all the other roles. Um, so I think there's also designing a game that allows for certain information to be obscured. Um, and to the outcomes, I think they allow the GM to control sort of how much of the situation in the game is narratively hidden or uh, hidden in terms of the simulation of what event they're trying to portray. Like the hit points is really, you don't know exactly like in a percentage-based system how much health your your friend is at. Um, so obscuring that information or choosing to prevent your players from looking at each other's hit points is an option of gauging how much of a simulationist feel you want in the game. Um, whereas you can also choose to obscure certain narrative elements where uh, in this game we're going to say that um, the way to kill a troll isn't with fire, it's with ice, and I'm going to hide that information from my players, and if they bring in their metagame knowledge, then that'll just hurt them. So mm -hmm. I think there's, there's yeah. opportunity to, to play with how much do you want that to be designed into the game, where you can go with like the game is a legacy game, and when you first encountered uh, trolls, you're going to uh, scratch off one of these cards or flip up one of these boxes of your choice, and it's going to say the way that you have to kill these trolls. And that's information that no one has access to, and that you will only find out when everyone's tested or you've uh, the GM has scratched off the box after the first element was used, and you find out whether or not that's the one that's effective. Um, so that could be integrated into the design of a game versus mm -hmm. it's free form or the GM can decide how much. So I don't know. How do you, thoughts? how do you, uh, how do you guys do it in your games? Like Kat, do you do, do you, do you have, because the, the, the troll fire thing always struck me as odd um, because 
people that inhabit a world, like let's say you come from an order of paladins, right, in D&D. Do, how long has this paladin order been going along where they don't know how to kill trolls? Like, it just seems like the first thing you'd tell a squire would be like, hey, by the way, if you encounter a troll, use fire. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's in-game knowledge that seems like it would be disseminated. And sometimes that, that knowledge is supposed to be hidden, but it doesn't make sense within the context, or it hasn't made sense within context to me at certain times. Well, since you asked me directly how I do it, um, part of it is straightforward, and it's like, well, this is the kind of thing that people should know about as fairly common knowledge. Part of it is, well, this is a myth. You may not, you may have some information, but it may not necessarily be accurate. But another part is a large part of the setting that I'm using is that it's very adaptable. Like, uh, basically, the entire planet, um, the species on it, the, the top topology and such is constantly being rearranged and remolded by basically an army of druids, more or less. So they can change, like, an entire countryside. It's like, well, yesterday there was a mountain there. Today, there is not. The last time that you fought something that looks sort of like this, well, it was a completely different creature, and they've been upgrading it several times since that because there are other people out in the world that are getting tested as well, and they keep remaking the same creature, trying to perfect it. So, yeah, it, it can change quite a lot, but... I think it really depends on the context of what's actually important based upon the concept of the game itself. Like if the concept of the game is purely simulationist or gamey, I guess, I don't know. The idea of like, you want to play a game, you want to have like uh, something that's either as close to reality as possible, you're going to obscure certain information like the hit points. If you're doing something more narrative, it's like, well, it, it hurts, but you don't know the specific details of it. If you're just playing it for the sake of having a game and it's fun, not knowing enough information to make accurate decisions is kind of crap. Like, most people don't actually feel all that good when they made a bad decision. The only reason they made a bad decision was information was specifically withheld from them that prevented them from making a good decision. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so why don't we uh, go around and, like, explain how we handle them in our game. So, Kat, you, you've explained yours. What about uh, Carr? What, how do you handle it in your game, if at all? Um, the, the game itself doesn't really address it at all, but in the, um, how to play and how to GM parts, I plan on, um, fully explaining that players should be able to, should be allowed to know anything that their characters would know about the game world. Mm-hmm. So to your point about the paladins and not knowing about trolls, which makes no sense in the game world, 
Mm-hmm. You know, these the characters have lived their entire lives in this imaginary place. It's it only makes sense that characters would know things about the world they live in, like what a troll is and what's weak, to, what its mm-hmm. weakness is, and yada yada yada. Like most characters wouldn't be able to recognize an individual, let's say, dragon, but they know what a dragon is. Right. That lore has been passed around. Right. Right. So, and the the next part is that it's the responsibility of the player to become informed and for the GM to allow the player to be as informed as necessary for them to play their character effectively. Hmm. So would you say, so would part of that be, be letting the player look at whatever version of monster stats you have? Um, personally, I don't care what the players know about the mechanical details in monsters and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's the kind of meta info that you just can't keep right hidden you know you know mm-hmm. we've this hobby has been going on for 45 years that's just a fool's errand to try and keep all of that stuff under wraps right so right. i don't even bother yeah if if the but if those stats if seeing those stats gives a player some insight into what a what that monster thing is and how they should react to it that's going to make everybody's experience better Hmm. okay i would actually argue that your game actually does include some of that uh information on how to obscure stuff very early on because you have that prestige and renown system and you pretty explicitly do state that some of the information that spreads is not going to be accurate. Well, that's that's a separate topic, the versions of the truth. And right. No, I, I think it's actually very about, much so the same thing. Prestige is mm-hmm. about what could be known, not what is known. Or whether or not anything known is true. Yeah, I I think they actually are very similar, though. Like, it's not necessarily that you're hiding the truth, but if the truth isn't known in the first place, you may as well be hiding it for all intents and purposes. Mm, I I think there's, there's a distinction there because one's a mechanical truth about how the game works and one's an, an in-setting truth about how the world, the narrative. Yeah. Or the world, if, if it's not the narrative, yeah. Although I specific yeah. in specifics, I think the prestige is about the narrative, right? Because it's about the character, a character. Right. There's yeah. no chance for a for a prestige to be known if the party went into the dungeon, cleared out, came back, and sat down in silence at the tavern and didn't say a word about what they had just done. Right. 
this is about information flow into the setting, hmm. not hiding information from the players. Because prestige is about the characters, not anything meta. Right. Well, but I mean, uh, coming at it from a slightly different angle, but talking about the same thing, if I, as a GM, say to my players, like, if, you know, if they ask me something about the setting and then I say, oh, you know, X, Y, and Z about whatever they ask about the setting, but then also include the caveat that that's a rumor. You don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, You are obscuring information, but then you're also... Uh, I think often you're explicitly saying that may not be totally true and I'm probably setting up something to, you know, use the friction between, you know, use the me setting up that you think that, but then betraying that information that you have because that creates an interesting story and pushes a new challenge onto the players. Is that how you handle it in Wander? um, In terms of that... Uh, not, I mean, the, so the thing about Wander is that the setting is much less explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's, it's built so that you can, I mean, it's real world for the most part. So you can, most of the information about the setting is kind of everybody's knowledge. Now, if something does come up most in it, well, oh, my, oh, sorry, my, uh, approach to this comes kind of mostly from my GM practice and philosophy, which is to pretty much give as much information to the players as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, rarely do I obscure information unless it's particularly important that information is obscured. And I, I will either give information to the players or ask the players if they, you know, if I get asked a question, it's not, oh, it's this, it's, oh, what do you think it is? Um, because that's the way I like to do it, and it works. It works pretty well for for me, and I think it's a good way to get some buy-in into the setting and get players involved and help to build the narrative and show what they're interested in. All you know, and and also it it does make it a little easier for people to GM sometimes because if I don't have a good idea or in this within this setup, if you don't have a good idea, you just look to one of your players, and they'll always give you something that you can work with because you're trying to have this story that reflects your players and their characters. Mm-hmm. And especially because within Wander, it's explicitly said the only real setting thing that I give is the world is a little magical in some way. And so your um, characters, wants and emotions and things and plot threads essentially all will come up in the world, not necessarily because they were there, but because you put, not because they were there originally, but because you kind of bade them with your mind or just they right. popped up because you were there. So it, it, it makes that information obfuscation not as important because it's more important about exploring and you know, learning about how information has changed rather than understanding information that or learning new information it's oh my god so, so let me let me say let me see if i'm i'm, I'm understanding because i it's okay. what it sounds like is that um in rather than having information too obscure you're letting the players and the game master um 
uncover the information as they play by virtue of the fact that you don't detail it. Yeah, that's that's a much, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. And in that's other world building by yes and. Yeah, right, basically. Yeah. 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 So, but but to take this in a in a totally different direction, uh, Jonathan, you have uh, cut to the chase is a two player RPG that has effectively no game master. Um, it's it's two players, mm-hmm. um, and so in that it seems like when when I played it, it was very much like the world building by virtue of discovery or uh, improv rather than having any kind of obscurable information within it. Yeah, it's um, the players and characters. The characters know what they know, but the players know everything and nothing kind of also because mm-hmm. each move and progression is sort of based on the last. And so it's not just um, world building as a team, it's story building as a like an equal team, I should say. I think all of these are often story building or narrative building. Um, it's interesting. I don't. I was trying to think how to think about this with regards to my game because I don't um, try to hide anything. Um, but what I do, I I do state specifically that you should um, play it. You should uh, choose the action that the narrative suggests you should take. Mm-hmm. But that's i the narrative is also the choice of the player so they can make the narrative based on what action they want to take it works both ways i mean we want to say fiction first but but players are players and i think by throwing by first putting it in the in the book and then also putting by first putting the actions in the book and then putting the actions again on the sheet it's saying these are important and I want you, the player, to know not just your actions, but the actions of the the other player. And with that in mind, uh, hopefully you make decisions that mm-hmm. you work for you. Yeah. Yeah. But, and but your but your game even lacks the possibility of hidden information, which is kind of what's interesting about it because the the all the actions are up front. But it's like yeah. the player, both players can see the opposing player's actions and what their possibilities are and. And what resources they have left at their disposal. Mm-hmm. What's gonna? I I I actually already know exactly what the other player is gonna do if I do this mm-hmm. sort not of thing. Necessarily one thing. No, that not narratively. What, no, not even uh, the narratively thing. But I mean, no, like I mean, especially narratively, you don't. But mechanically, no, you at least have a, a narrow keep in mind, point. We're dealing with the fact that you're dealing with humans, and even if actually not even if but especially if you say okay all all information points to this being the correct action to take that's almost guaranteed not the action many people will take <laughs> no and, and there's he's talking about two specific actions that um uh, you me, make the other player have to do something okay there are yeah i've yeah. I forgot. Yeah, he does have some of those in this. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying, Catrice. It's just in a general sense that um it's uh, like you said, it it can't hide anything. Um mm-hmm. it just says you know, put a narrative together. Be narrative about your actions, not uh not hopefully not um I don't know. 
you, you can be strategic, but do it narratively. Maybe that's the what I want mm. from from players. Uh, well, it's a short text. I think it's hard to get all my points across. Well, it almost makes me think of it now that you're mentioning it more like less like a role playing game and more almost like a board game because there's like set things that you can do in certain instances mm. and some things you can't. It's like if you land on the red square, you have to move forwards two spaces kind of concept. I mean, that's yeah. not like how your game set up, but. Well, the first person, the first time someone told me that, which isn't now, uh, I was quite insulted. <laughs> but um, but you're not wrong in in the action of the game. It's you go, I go, you go, I go. Uh, we get to the end. It's very it's structured like a board game. If the rules were written differently, uh, without asking for a narrative, it, it would be a board game. But whenever someone says that, and I understand where they're coming from. But I know that I've written that and, and structured it to be a narrative. So if someone sees it like a board game, it's not what I want. But I think I've done the best job I can to make it not just a board game. Right. Well, it's definitely not just a board game. I didn't mean oh, to imply yeah. that. But it's like on the mechanic side, it is very board game-ish. But if you look at like the way it's set up, like you wouldn't just have a narrative for something like snakes and ladders or something it just doesn't yeah. make any sense for you to do that your game definitely does have a reason for you to describe it if you don't describe it it just comes across really weird yeah um yeah so it, it, that's that's good <laughs> uh it, it i think it, it could if you're bothered to play it at all like you'd be willing you'd be likely to play it narratively yeah i, I we when i played it i couldn't not play it narratively and that it was it was weird because that's probably my first experience actually playing like a short form rpg like that um and uh i'll what what i noticed about it is um like it came it came way more alive than i thought it would if that makes any sense mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. because just like when and I was playing it with my wife, so so she and I were were be, like weirdly became weirdly invested, even <laughs> though I mean I say weirdly because it was weird to me. Uh, I don't I don't think she had any sort of reservation about that. But like as as a person who's been playing RPGs for a, a really long time and has certain ideas about what an RPG is, um, I, I have to admit it shook me a little bit like to at the end of it when i was like wow i was way more invested in that story than i thought i would be um and it was weird it was a weird experience yeah, yeah uh, I, but yeah but you're right it has no chance or really no chance of hiding anything it doesn't mean right. players don't hide stuff on their own though which i find mm -hmm. interesting yeah. because some players will play that game without acknowledging that the other player even has a set of moves you know what i mean like mm -hmm. they just sort of do it without sort of thinking what might the other character right, might do. Right, 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 right. Um, and that might be better for some players to maybe for enjoyment. I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, well, so I was, I mean, that, that, that kind of got me thinking um, about players hiding, obscuring their own information because uh, Cav's uh, game has um, 
those those if I remember correctly, the players are like dual natured. They were not in the current version. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. thanks for crapping on my transition. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, it's fine. I'm going to talk about the one I'm working on right now. If mm-hmm. tell me when it's time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. I'm, how, do you, do you okay, hide so, uh, information in, in your in your current uh, draft? Yes, draft is okay. the correct word. Okay, so <laughs> the cur- in the current draft, there's information that is very explicit to the players that is very no- that is very not explicit to the to their characters. And uh, and the fact is, like, G- having like, oh, uh, let me rephrase that. Okay, the fact is, like, it kind of relies on the they can't really mitigate the system just by knowing it. Like it's hard for them to react to like what they know as players. So that, that like it, it wouldn't change their action because in order to be a PC in the game of a certain type, you have to have bought it. Your character probably doesn't know what they're doing is hmm. like the so character how- does because, okay. So the setup is that the players are try are serving the interests of a, of an entity that is trying to break into the world, break into their worlds, and they're serving it for power. But they probably, and it, generally, the entity will frame itself as a god because that makes sense. And mm-hmm. so, probably the cult PC, the cultist characters don't know that. Oh yeah, this is an evil alien invader that pro- that probably doesn't want good things for the world. No, really, Cthulhu loves you, honest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he wants your eternal soul. He loves yeah. you so much. Yeah. So, but the point, but I don't see any reason it'd be really hard to conceal this from how the game is designed. Like to conceal to the players that yes, the the god is semi malevolent. Like that, that's not good. I don't see how I would conceal it, or even why I would conceal it. I can <laughs> I, I can come up with at least one reason for why, but I don't see how. Yeah, like how oh, I would conceal it from the players. Right. I don't think um, it would really negatively impact how they're going to play the game. Or, but that might just be because I I generally assume that people aren't going to do metagaming to the oh. when it doesn't make sense. And that's mm. <laughs> and that's a fault and this isn't a false assumption at a lot of tables. Yeah. I, I know yeah, that. Yeah. I, yeah. It's just my only defense for the metagaming is like uh basically there's no point so why would you like it doesn't give you an mm-hmm. advantage to know that right because the entire structure of the game assumes that you're going to be helping it so that brings up an interesting side topic but it's definitely related is pretty much everything related to like obscuring knowledge either comes down to enjoyment of the game or metagaming so if somebody like say players are going to have at least a few players that are naturally their natural proclivity is to metagame like obsessively like they can't stop themselves from doing so kind of thing right but it doesn't actually affect the outcome of the game is it even a problem in the first place yeah there's a, no, there's it becomes a problem it all becomes a problem as the player uses their metagame knowledge 
for advantage. Right, yeah. but if but if the if the advantage already exists, like like I, I think Cat's point was if if there's no advantage to be gained in I, well, no, that's what you were addressing. All right, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rob, you because you were saying like it, 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 I think okay, so let me. I'm just trying to figure puzzle that out. And so because Cat was saying if there's no if there's no advantage to be gained in metagaming the system. It doesn't matter if the players do or not. Is that is that basically your point? Well, I was asking if Oh, okay, you were asking. But I can think of a situation where it would matter even if they don't gain an advantage. Mm. And that would mostly be focused around the concept of um, the bullying suspension of disbelief and, you know, immersion value. If somebody is obviously making it clear that they are playing a game and, and everybody else is basically forgetting that they're playing a game, that can actually be kind of annoying if it crops up often enough. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I just want to say this, but we, it's not really over to the top, where the topic's straight, but I should point out that from a mechanics perspective, it's actually to your advantage to b- completely buy into the whole, you're into like serving the thing, not, and not, yeah. Oh, so you set up the incentives such that the if the players are are taking are if the players are cognizant of the meta game, they're going to play the game as if their characters were their characters. Yeah, because essentially you get or, all the XP mechanics and all that is are directly tied to how you serve the god. Uh, so, right. Mm-hmm. It's maybe turning the meta game and using it in a good way. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, which is I think what what Mark's game kind of does because his is all focused around that kind of advancement because, because the, the, in Praxis Arcanum, as I remember reading it, the, the entire point is you start with a blank slate and then you advance down different paths. That's exactly it. Uh, so in terms of what, what information is available to the player, then uh, the, the basic mechanics are basically laid out, but the, the plot and what is, developed as you play through the game is entirely up to the players and the game master to, to decide on uh, as they play. Um, so I, I was taking some notes. So I was kind of quiet during everyone else's uh, uh, discussions, but I was, I was listening to kind of some um, trends that I thought were coming out of what people were saying. Um, and feel free to, to jump in on this, but I think there were a couple things that um, uh, stood out to me and that I, I got to take some notes on about my games. Um, but it, I, I kind of broke it down into three categories of, of information that you can choose to obscure or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one was the mechanics. So this is sort of like the the hit points, um, whether or not to obscure that kind of information, um, the plot or setting information. So uh, are there traps in this room? Um, what... Uh, uh, how do you kill a troll? And then uh, I think the last one that we didn't touch on as much was outcomes, roles. Um, uh, like, did I did I succeed or fail on this test? Um, so I, I, I think that that's an interesting way of just looking at your game in terms of how you present this information and what what feeling that comes out with the game. Mm-hmm. So in, uh, in Praxis Arcanum, the way I think all of you guys have written it or have read it, um, 
the outcomes were revealed. Um, so that became much more simulationist. And I'm possibly moving that to a different system, which the outcomes are less revealed. So it gives the GM more ability to fudge the results, make it more narrative if they so choose to bring the game into a different direction. Um, spending yeah, the in the game, there's an ability for the GM to be able to use a resource that they have to alter what is the truth. Um, so if something is known as a fact uh, for the player's minds, then there is the ability for the GM to spend a resource to suddenly change that or to alter it or to make it like um, you thought that uh, everyone true. has told you. That, yeah, you thought something was true, but it's actually slightly different. Or mm -hmm. you, you think that it's fire, but really it's um, something about the, the charcoal or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so it it suddenly changes what the the idea behind it is, or um, uh, it can alter so, slightly. Yeah. So let me ask you a question then. So why I'm curious as to why that resource exists because that seems to me that's what GMs do anyway. Yeah, uh, and I I introduced this as a way like it's uh, I call it the influence system with the game, um, mm -hmm. and I wanted to give the GM the ability to have a system that encouraged them to uh, interject these ideas into the game. Um, I wanted to try to have a support system for the GM mm -hmm. to, to be able to say, these are the ways that you can break the game, alter it, uh, add new realities or truths, or, or shape what the game is as its base as the game is being played. Mm. I like that. So a lot of GMs don't realize that they can change the truth of the game. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to make it yeah, a, a very clear system to this is how you can influence what is true in the game right now. And um, it, it doesn't matter what is, uh, I guess, what the players think they know. Uh, you can adapt that as the narrative develops. So... This is interesting, and I'm going to ask you a question because I, I think this leads to a different type of obscuring. And I'm, I'm curious how you're going to handle that, as in when the game master makes the choice to spend it, do, how do they do that? Do they, A, say, um, I'm spending this to change this, you know, right in the moment that the, that the party gets screwed? Or two, do they uh, say at some point, I'm going to spend a point and not tell you um, why I'm I, just saying I'm spending one. The outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm spending one. Eventually you'll find out why. Or three, are you going to do, um, I, I guess I would just, the main thing I'd be worried about is a sort of retroactive like, yeah, you totally thought there was going to be, you know, two burglars here, but there's eight. Uh, sorry, screw you. I, I played my whatever. Uh, or I'm playing it now type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the information, the way it's designed right now, the information the players have is that they should know whenever the GM gains this resource. So influence is accumulated as players fail their checks and opportunities. So the GM would say, okay, you failed the check. 
I gain opportunity, I gain influence. And as the game develops, the um, or the session develops, then you have more and more influence that the GM has at their disposal. And then when they want to make one of these moves, they would state it. They would say, this is what's happening right now. Influence is being spent. Like, this is the outcome. Um, and it can be held at whatever opportunity. So you can say, oh, you come into the room, there are two burglars. And then, oh, like, snap of the fingers, being influence is being spent. Exactly. There are three more, you yeah. didn't expect them. And that was the hidden information that didn't need to exist. Like, it didn't need to be hidden at all. It just now exists as information you previously didn't have. This is super, it does interest me a lot. It's, 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 I think, I mean, I'd know if I played, but like, it, it seems to work really well. Cause then the players are put in a position where, you know, they're, they're making poor roles and they just know that they're building up to like the, the outcome of their, their, their failures, which is mm. cool because it doesn't pretend that, um, or sorry, it doesn't give the, the GM a pool of something that they can just drop whenever they want. It has to be sort of earned, and it's earned on the backs of the players' failures, which is, I think it creates a a, a cool dynamic. Absolutely. And it and, doesn't have necessarily have to be spent on piling the odds further against the players, right? Uh, yeah, so that's like one thing a GM could expend... About. A GM could spend influence to give the PCs a break, essentially. And and there, it, it depends entirely on what the situation is. Like it could be um, there is a, a new truth that is revealed that is in the favor of um, the players or against them. But it's still a resource a resource that's built up on player failure. So if you wanted to play a game where it was very cutthroat and every time they fail, everything else becomes harder for them then that can definitely be the style of game. Or if it's just, I've seen that you failed a bunch of times, here's an opportunity for me to use my influence in the game mechanics and make things a little bit easier for you. So I, I will change the terrain, and now suddenly uh, uh, there's a, a small... Now there's like, no thieves in the room. Yeah, exactly. The two and, and you that, thought, and definitely correct. not the five that could have been. Right. Um, I would almost suggest the latter because otherwise you get very quickly into a death spiral because you're double dinging the players. Like, if they've failed a bunch of times in a row, you already know that they failed a bunch of times in a row, which presumably their failures actually have meaning, in which case they've already suffered the consequences of the fact that they failed. So if you then penalize them further, that actually kind of gets to a point where it's like you're just kicking them once they're already down. And it's like you already know that they're weak. And the weaker they get, the harder things become on top of that, which wouldn't yeah, lead that's, to a game that, lasting very long. That's why I asked about the mechanic being used for good, as it were, to make it clear that the that it could be something other than setting up a death spiral. Right. And and uh, it, it does get more into the, the side of like how the mechanics work, but as opposed to whether or not the information is revealed. But yeah, the idea is that it's it's up to the GM to decide how they want to use this and what they uh, what their influence, how they exert their influence. Um, so they can be the the vengeful god or the um, forgiving god. Um, but 
in in terms of how um, the sort of going back to the topic of of screaming the truth, it's it was interesting to me to kind of think of you need to have a mechanic in in terms of or I didn't need to put in a mechanic of here is a a, a fact that I'm going to say that I know is a lie. Um, I can introduce it as a fact that is true. And if I later decide in the game I want to change it and it is a lie, then I can do that on the fly. I can do it dynamically. So I never need to intentionally obscure information about, like, there could very well only be two uh, burglars in that room, but then as the next thing uh, uh, moves to, um, like, the, the GM's influence, then now that truth has changed. I just love anything that allows playing with the truth in game. Mm-hmm. I'm such a fan <laughs> of doing that. Mm. All right. Well, then, um, since now we're talking about uh, truth and liars, uh, Rob, do you want to talk about your game? Uh, I, I could, yeah. Uh, I don't. So, what, what did you mean by truth and liars? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just talking <laughs> shit. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you personally, yeah. Rob. You, you get <laughs> you to explain personally. about truth and ashes from the deep shade that Fred just threw on you. All right. <laughs> that's, that's fine, man. That's fine. Actually, yeah. and I, I, cause, So actually, one thing I wanted to add before you talk about your game is uh, I want to talk about your game for a second. Because when I read it, mm-hmm. um, you were talking about the, uh, the revelations, right? The mechanics that come yes. out of play. Yeah. And I read those and I was like, that's that's a really cool little thing. Like I like those little legacy mechanics and like that's a that's a fun little thing that you could definitely play with. Um I was wondering, do you have any examples of that that you're willing to like go over right now and be like, Oh yeah, here's the the first one you get and it's this thing yeah. or you just not have them written? No, I can't I can't do that. And the reason I can't do that is because each reveal fundamentally changes the incentives of the game and if i were to let them out now then stuff that is intentionally supposed to worry the players may not uh and so i i'm it's really hard the the really i i completely understand why it takes legacy games like so long to 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 go through play testing because i didn't quite understand it before when uh who was i reading it was um uh rob davio uh who's the board game designer of pandemic legacy when he said it was in testing for three three years or thing i think two and a half something i was like whoa really but yeah because you have to get a new playtest group like for virtually every new playthrough because Mm -hmm. you can't the players are going to have knowledge of what's in that first envelope because it's going to be the most significant one to them, generally speaking. It's like the one that when they, when they hit the first legacy mechanic, that's going to be the one where the game starts turning on its head. Hmm. And I mean, so, I mean, to, 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 for an example, and I hope this isn't a spoiler for anybody, but in the first pandemic legacy, the first thing you open uh, indicates that there's a disease on the board that can't be cured anymore. And if you've played Pandemic before, the goal of the game is to cure all the diseases. And so the very first thing the game does is go like, yeah, now you can't cure this. Uh, now what? And the, you know, when we opened that, we were like, okay, so we can't win now? So what's the actual win condition? And 
just that little thing. If that was all that game did, that would have been interesting. But I mean, it did a ton more than that. But but it it's what inspired me. To, it didn't inspire me to add the mechanic to Ashes, but it is. Um, it did inspire the 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 mechanic, like how how I should structure the mechanic, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, because okay. the last thing I wanted to do was have the 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 legacy mechanics in Ashes be not impactful, um, and have them be something that you could play with or not. Uh, because then why have it at all if if it's something that your game doesn't need uh and you can do it without it um my opinion is that it should be cut or placed in Burn it. option or placed in an optional appendix or something like that but but yeah and put in a splat or some shit yeah or a splat or or uh some sort of a supplement or something like that but like the the, the revelation rules and i wouldn't put them in a game just to put legacy mechanics in the game for the sake of having legacy mechanics because I think they're cool, but their revelation is a very central theme in ashes and the way, because so the way I address it, it and it goes kind of to the point of, of how I handle um, obscuring player information uh, in, in the book that the players have in front of them, um are right now at least are the enemy statistics and that's because the any the enemy statistics are available to the players and to the characters the characters that they're playing are wizards that can manipulate and view fate and so they know they can see the future uh for at least a couple of seconds you know maybe half a minute and there's so much information that's not hidden for the play, from the players. I mean, the way combat works is the enemies declare their intent and then the players get to act in any order and do whatever they want because it's... The, I mean, the fact of their characters is that they can see the future. And so they can, they can um, preempt enemy actions. They can act in such a way that the enemy is at a horrendous disadvantage um but that's it goes to the theme that the players have the entire world stacked against them like if they didn't have the ability to to uh detect the enemy actions ahead of time they would probably lose every combat because the intent of the game is that you are these wizards with a small party behind you fighting small armies and sometimes even big armies um and so without that the 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 edge of that mechanic, the entire game would fall apart thematically and mechanically um, so so the vision of what's coming uh is a theme, and the revelations are sort of this thing that stands in stark opposition to that. So it's 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 a, a mechanical and thematic contrast within the game. And I, I sort of highlight that highlight that by making the the text blue rather than red in the book. Um and uh yeah that's 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 pretty much why they're there. Um but that's the only kind of information that is obscure from the players and it's obscure from the GM as well um at the start of the game. So like any other 
uh, legacy game, like no player knows about what that thing is. And I, f because like Carr was saying earlier, um, it would be a fool's errand to try and contain that. Uh, and it may yet be a fool's error to try and contain it, but I'm setting it up in such a way that I hope for a little while, uh, once the game's out in the wild, players treat it like they treated a legacy game and keep those facts. And there aren't many of them. That's, that's something else um, I wanted to uh, highlight, is that I don't have legacy mechanics all over the place. There's like five right now that are revealed at, at very particular points when players do something. And because it's a role-playing game, so I can't count on particular instances or events in anybody's mm. game. So I had, to, I had to make sure that the legacy mechanics could be triggered in anybody's game. So they are broad and aimed at things that are archetypal of the game. So there's definitely a way that you could actually maintain that so that it remains a hidden surprise as it were mm -hmm. well what you would do is oh, make sure that the players actually generate it themselves after the first time so like the first time you have it included in like an envelope like the first time anybody plays they run into it like the way that you had intended kind of mm -hmm. thing but on subsequent playthroughs have each player write their own that it, that will occur and mm. each player makes one and then they add it to a separate envelope and you pick like when something occurs they pick it and they don't know who's going to get there so every player will be at least partially surprised every time yes that is a way i could do it yeah um uh, unfortunately it, it it wouldn't work because the change is too fundamental um and it feels weird to to say that because it sounds just slightly arrogant because i'm not, i'm saying like no 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 when when you do this thing it's it's everything is different and there's not there's so it has way it has way more impact on the game than whether or not it was kernel mustard yeah. with the candlestick in the library yeah it's more fundamental than that it's that it's well, it's that one disease can't be cured kind of thing. Which... It's that one disease can't be cured kind of thing, which no matter what the narrative is, like the stakes of that change are so high. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that it, it inverts the incentive or creates a new path of incentive because it's now, now it's like, oh, we can't cure this thing. So is there any point in us even trying to treat it? Or what do we do with these with, like for our, in our game that we played, it was the red cards. Like now, are the red cards just dead weight? Like, what's what's the deal now? Um, like, it's that fundamental. And because because I only have five of these instances in the game, I can make the changes that fundamental. If it was as simple as every time the players advanced, or every time, uh, what you know, something that would happen every session. Right. It's not designed for that. It's designed for. The, this happens, and now the players have a different view of who they are type thing. It's hmm. interesting. I think it really fits with the aesthetic of the apocalyptic. Like, things are changing, <laughs> and they're not small type of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it's the players coming into their role as, as agents in the world that 
are more that have more significant ability to change the world than any other people, any other set of people. Um, and that's a trope in RPGs. Um, but I have found in many, in many games, it's not mechanically reinforced, um, in, in any significant way. It's, it's, it's sort of plot enforced or narratively enforced. Um, but there's no mechanical weight behind why the players are special when they're, they'll run into other PCs that are, or other NPCs rather that are like them or share their abilities. Um, and while that's possible in Ashes, it's it's rarer by design. Okay, all right. Um, and then, so I, actually, I think Carr, you said you had something to say about this, something in your game that you hadn't mentioned. Playing with the idea of truth, like anything that kind of plays with the idea of truth, yeah. Well, that's a whole separate thing I could go on and on about. But <laughs> what I was going to bring up. Uh, is anybody who's played a, most point-based games, you know, when you go through and you pick your character's advantages and flaws and what and all that stuff, I put one in my game that most people who read it and think about it think it's really interesting. And I, I call it the, um, the mystery flaw. And that is, where, whereas most games will let you We'll let a player set up their character with a secret, which is a piece of information that the character knows that they don't want to spread. Mm -hmm. The mystery kind of inverts that, where it, where it is um, essentially the player abdicates what the mystery is to the GM and the GM can reveal it during play. Super cool. So this is how, yeah. So this is how you get the, you know, farm boy. He grew up in the middle of nowhere. All of a no, sudden, has, has a herald. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like the, the Luke Skywalker's mystery flaw would be that Darth Vader is his father. Like right. he lived his entire life not knowing that bit of truth, mm -hmm. and I mean, it that, changed him. Right. I. I mean. I. I. I think that kind of thing is so interesting. You could turn that into a central mechanic. Like, uh, you know, if if that was just a piece of what legend. I mean, I know Legendcraft is is designed to be more of a generic, um, uh, toolkit. Um. Mm -hmm. The 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 concept of that is enough to base a game around. I mean, it's, although I could, I could understand how it would get weird of like these five people coming together and everybody's got this crazy, this crazy mystery in their background. Um, but it would be the kind of thing where, you know, you wouldn't, you would have uh, one arc and then do another one and then do another one. Yeah. Hmm. But it could be cool. Yeah. And there's, if five PCs playing Legendcraft all happen to have mystery flaws. It says nothing about whether or not the GM is supposed to or prohibited from tying them all together. Mm, right, right. Do you make that explicit at any point? No. Mm. I just don't address it at all and let the GM 
or whoever's reading interpret the lack of statement however they want. You know, actually, this is then because uh, that's a that is a choice to obscure information that um, you like that you stated in that, you know, you're saying I'm specifically not giving anybody their guidance for information so that they can then take what they want out of it. Um, whereas, you know, and that's a that's a philosophy I think I've seen within RPGs before. Um, with, whereas there's also the philosophy to kind of go in and explain how this is supposed to be used and kind of what you're supposed to do with it, what the outcomes of it mean, mm -hmm. rather than leaving it as a blank slate and letting players determine and feel out what that means. Are we, are, it kind of sounds like you want to lump in leaving something open to interpretation in with obscuring information i don't think that's fair i think you're right. trying to go too broad on that maybe but i there's 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 i can i can see where that line gets fuzzy because there's mm -hmm. an opening i mean you are you're you're you are obscuring your intent to a degree um yes. and and but you're also doing that intentionally so it's it it, it does become sort of this um a, a way to design rules where you leave them with an intentional vague. I mean, a lot of games do that. It's not, it's, you know, uh, most of the Powered by the Apocalypse uh, rules are, are intentionally vague so that the narrative can conform to the rules rather than the other way around. And I think your game is more or less designed around the same idea. The same Although, philosophy, yeah. Presented in a very different way, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, but my point was that I have this one tiny little mechanic in my game that allows a player to obscure information about their character from themselves. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's a useful thing to have, I think. Yeah. Hey. Um. Actually, Cavoir, yes. do you have anything to say? Anything to add? Uh, it's off topic, and I know you're just saying that because of never mind. Um, but I was I was just gonna bring up uh, on way back in talking about like obscuring narrative from players. Uh, I know that a lot of my players will just read the whole book anyway, so you can't like just putting it there. And one game that one solution I found in my game was that they literally have uh, a table of possible meta plots, basically where <laughs> and. You can either roll on it or pick one. And I don't know how I feel about that, but I do think it somewhat works for the game because it's about the part of the mystery is about like the nature of the world is partially supposed to be a mystery to the players that they're supposed to figure out over time. And that's some category of this that's on topic, but I don't have a whole lot to say about that. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine, man. We're, we're all yeah, rambling. Uh, I just realized rambling. I had a long rambling speech and I didn't actually have a point at the end. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's what rambling is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mark, did you have anything you wanted to add? Um, I think I was going to over like some of the remarks on how to approach 
design of obscuring information specifically. So I would have said that um, when you're when I'm doing it, what I'm thinking of is how much uh, narrative power I get from the information I'm choosing to reveal and what information I'm choosing to hide. Um, so whether or not I reveal the outcomes of roles based on the role that happens at the table, or if that's something that the GM determines afterwards, um, that buys you a little bit of GM narrative control as opposed to um, a supervised narrative of the, the role determines exactly what happens and everyone sees it, it's on the table. Um, so I think for me, when I'm designing for um, what information I want there to be present and on the table, it's because I'm looking at sort of the, the narrative and how much of that I want to um, emphasize and in what ways. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly an important topic to bring up um, is the, yeah, as, as you said, the, the what information is shared and what is kept obscured is important because it informs a lot on what narrative you're telling because what, what you deem is important enough to either um, obscure or expose will tell a lot about what your what is important to the story and thus what the story is about exactly and whether that's mechanics or setting or or any of the other divisions of of information i think it just goes on to say this is the narrative for the the theme of the game that you're exploring mm -hmm. and i think it, it becomes a very powerful tool to use when designing to think of what do the players need to know what do the characters need to know and where is there a disconnect um because i think you can use that to manipulate the emotions and impact of your game. Yeah. You yeah, also need agree. to keep in mind that it can be misused as well by basically luring players into making choices that they otherwise wouldn't make. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes you want to put a player or their character or whatever into a situation where they thought they were doing something that was going to be a good idea and then they find out that there are consequences they could not have predicted where it's not a good idea at all after all. But that's something that should probably be used sparingly rather than, you know, making it so that you pull the rug out from under them because it basically means if you do this on a regular basis, you've stripped them of almost all agency. Like they can make a decision, but it doesn't matter. Right, and the impact yeah, or, of that move also doesn't matter anymore. Right. Or you can, you can make the players paranoid. That's the other thing. You can it's just, just, okay, everybody, you know, check for traps every 10 feet. Okay, yeah. we met a new guy. All right, Paladin, detect evil on him. Is he evil? Uh, is he wearing an amulet that might protect him from being, from the detection? No? Hmm. Okay. And, and like, you know, there's a D&D &D game I played in for, for years where we got to that level of paranoia because every NPC, we, well, not every, but like there was at least one per adventure that was in the first, I would say probably five or six adventures that actually earned our trust and then turned around and screwed us. And you may say, 
well, that was your fault for taking it taking you so long to figure out six adventures. Your fault for I think trusting it was like people. Yeah, yeah, your fault for trusting people. Yeah. What, I, like, what it, I read from that was that GM was really good at getting you to trust somebody. That, that, that's a really good job up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was good. And he he there was a he he uh did it a couple more times too uh after that where at least one time we didn't see it coming and then most of the other times it worked horribly in his favor uh not horribly uh, not no not in his favor horribly in his favor that's <laughs> um but but it didn't work to his favor or to the game's favor because like there was one adventure where um we had encountered a druid and the druid had attacked a village and the point of the adventure was to get us to investigate why the druid had attacked the village and it turns out that he was basically a good guy and there was bad stuff going on in the village and when he told us this we were like oh okay really no go fuck yourself and we just murdered him on the spot because he... <laughs> that's, that's what, what we he, assumed that's what the game had taught you yeah, yeah, that's what the game had taught us up to that point. And then we had to, like, reset the adventure. Like, the GM actually started it over. I think... Um, what I know, took but... from that is that that GM relied on that kind of betrayal or role reversal device way more often than he should have. Maybe because it kept working. Yeah, that's that's quite possible. I mean, it did, it did keep working. There was... Uh, there was a, and this was, this I think this, I think it was out of a Dragon magazine. He ran it. Uh, I think it, I think that's where the adventure was. Um, hmm. And I mean, those are those are kind of known for not being that well play tested, or only being play tested like maybe two or three times. Um, and so it's quite possible that that the 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 person who wrote it was just like, oh, the players are going to behave this way, and sort of let it go. Um, and then when we didn't, it just sort of cracked the whole thing in half. But, you know, that's, that, that's a whole different topic of adventure writing to, to different audiences. Yeah, I think that the one, you know, sort of important thing, I, and I think what Mark is going for, like GMs can sort of almost always do this. Uh, and mm-hmm. he is explicitly showing the players, all players, how the GM is going to go about it in his game. So if there's established truths in the game, the only way the GM can screw with them is with this uh, Mm -hmm. uh, this resource. Yeah. Yeah. And that does soften the blow a little bit, you know, because because at least it's like the game's like, well, we knew he could do that. Mm -hmm. And and the truth is, yeah, like in any other game, the GM in in a lot of ways has that ability to do that regardless. Yeah. And at least now we, one, it shows some GMs that they can do that. Because it explicitly says they can, and on the other hand, it says, "Hey, like players, this is part of the game, and right. you you know when it's more and more likely to happen." Right, right, right. That's um, exactly the intention. Is the definition I saw for the job of a player at one point, which was that the job of a player is to ruin all of the GM's carefully laid plans in the most creative way possible by accident. <laughs> that is, that's 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 what you want out of them. Uh, unfortunately, not all GMs have carefully laid plans to be destroyed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Honestly, if you have 
plans that can be destroyed by things players do, you don't have good plans. That that's untrue. <laughs> that's untrue. <laughs> and what Cat was saying is also deeply rooted in the old school gamist philosophy. And it's it's a sibling to hiding as much information from the players as possible. Hmm. The job of a player is to play their character. Well, yeah. the job of a player is the job of a player. I mean, it, it doesn't just have to be to necessarily play one's character, although traditionally, yes. So I will stop arguing semantics. Well, I mean, Cat well, was bringing up a facetious yeah. point. You know, I, it, it's, obviously, that's not the job of the player, but it is what happens a lot. I mean, did, did, you know, it, it's a, it just is a fact that, that players will do things that GMs don't expect. Um, yeah, it's like as soon as you add the, the human element, all of your plans are going out the window. Don't be too attached. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those plans go out the window as soon as a, any player sits down at the table. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably pretty accurate. That's yeah. part of the fun of it, too, yeah. though. Yeah, that's, it's it's like, yeah I didn't do this. It's cooperative. Yeah. Yeah. It's like part of the fun for a lot of GMs is just, okay. I've got a plan. I have set everything up. How are you going to break it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in fact, that's the GM I was talking about. That's how he pretty much ran games. I mean, even during that particular campaign and afterwards, he was just like, I got plans. I know they're going to be blown apart, but I'm just curious as to how. <laughs> apparently, the, apparently, you just hit a particular weak spot by killing that druid. That, yeah, well, that was just... Yeah. yeah, normally he, that would have been the type of thing he would roll with then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think in most other games, I mean, we, ha- we have, there are times where we killed like the campaign bad guy in like their first encounter, like totally by accident, um, where a player just got a lucky crit and then rolled max damage and then rolled for like some sort of super crit or something like that and just blew that person apart. He's like, well, fuck, now I gotta figure out a new villain. Uh, but that's part of the fun. It's like you, you play your, we are, we're all playing to find out what happens. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And on that, um, slightly powered by the apocalypse note, uh, we'll probably wrap this up. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that was us on obscuring information. Um, we're probably going to talk after this, but I'm going to obscure all of that. <laughs> and, uh, y'all have a good night can we just fucking cover this good night thank you for joining us for another episode of flail forward Our intro and outro music is from Lie Low by the Sardo Clin V. Have a good week and happy designing.